I'm Denzel Mohammed. Welcome back to Jobmakers. Few cities have fallen as far as Detroit did in the early 2000s. Population loss and the spiral in economic vitality caused the city to make the largest municipal bankruptcy filing in US history. Tough spot. But that's where immigrants and refugees come in. As they've done for generations, immigrants move into places in economic decline because that's where they can afford the rents, or in the case of refugees, are settled where other refugees have settled in the past, and they build it back up. For Steve Tabachman, head of the economic development nonprofit Global Detroit, and Mamba Hamisi, refugee from Burundi and co-founder of Baobab Fair, an East African restaurant, they see it and they're doing it building back Detroit and infusing it with life, culture, and that immigrant work ethic. Immigrants and refugees often have no choice but to start a small business when they move to a new country. It's no wonder then that immigrants and refugees even more so have higher than average rates of business generation. We hear from the economic development leader, Steve, and one of the thousands of refugee business owners he's assisted, Mamba, on how a little help to a newcomer can help build up the entire community in this week's Jobmakers Podcast. Mamba Hamisi, co-founder and CEO of Baobab Fair in Detroit, and Steve DeBachman, Executive Director of Global Detroit in Detroit. Welcome to the Jobmakers Podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you. So Mamba, I want to start with you. You have an incredible story. Uh, you, you and your wife and your, your, your twin uh, kids have an incredible journey from uh, Central Africa to the U.S. Um, tell us how you got here and why you had to move in the first place. Yeah, so the journey uh, started uh, with my wife in 2013, you know, through the country, Burundi, where we were born and raised. And then she was a human rights activist. And then she has to flee the country because she was in trouble from the report that she made. And then we end up in Detroit. So Nadia and my wife find herself in Freedom House. That is uh, 2013, and then after a couple of months, she found out she was pregnant, and she was pregnant with she was pregnant with twins. I tried to, to join them, and unfortunately, I got denied visa two times. And so I saw them for the first time, uh, and Nadia and my kids in 2015, November 2015. I started a new life. At the same moment, I didn't speak the language, of course. I didn't have a work authorization. Very hard time as a as a migrant and refugee to be in Detroit, right? Because uh, the Donald Trump was becoming the president almost the United States. So there was a lot of hate, you know, messages around. So it was was not easy emotionally. Same time, I could you know, I could then you know even get a job because I didn't have a you know seeking asylum it was even tougher than what would be you know, in the normal days and normal time. I got my work authorization in 2017. So I stay home, start learning the language, watching cartoons with the girls, and, uh, you know, using a lot of uh, Google translation. So then I can hear how the word sounds. And that's, I didn't take a class. So that's all in that way I could, I could, you know, start, you know, speaking and listening, which was, was not easy, but you know, by the time you get in a new country, the only thing is to learn the language. That's how the only way you want to communicate. 
Um, at that moment, we tried to uh, get a job around Detroit. There was not any job. So I ended up working in a factory like 45, 50 minutes away from Detroit. And then I realized right away that that is not where I was, uh, um, I would end up my life or this is not something I want to do all my life. And then meantime on, I was, you know, staying home. There was a program at Freedom House that um, uh, Steve and uh, Global Detroit, I think they started with uh, uh, Prosperous Detroit. So it was an entrepreneurship program that I took classes. And then that program opened my eyes that it's possible to open a business. It's possible to be an entrepreneur in this country. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. So the dream started there. I was like, one day I want to be, I want to own my own business. Around that time, there was not that many African restaurants with uh, data shows 75% of people who live in Detroit are black. You can't go wrong with that. But the reality was not that. The reality was people didn't know anything about Burundi, didn't know about anything about East Central Africa. So we have to teach again. And then this is how we started. And then 2017, July, we won the Hash Detroit, which was 50,000 prize to open the new business. I want to get to that. But I mean, just in such a short space of time, uh, you arrived in, in, your wife arrived in 2013, you got here in 2015, Donald Trump became president, there was a lot of hate, as you say, toward uh, refugees and immigrants, and the learning process as well. You said you had to start over, I mean, to start a whole new life again at, at 35, uh, don't even know the language, you don't know the legal structure, you don't know the culture, um, you're depending on the kindness of strangers. Uh, that's just absolutely, absolutely fascinating story. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, this idea for entrepreneurship. So I grew up, my mom owned the small restaurant. Uh, the restaurant was in the, in the market. So she would sell food. And then the main goal, main purpose of selling food for her was to make sure like we have some food on the table so we can eat. So coming in this country, Nadia, she's an amazing cook. And I have that background. My mom owned the restaurant. I used to tell her, you can cook, I can sell. I know how to sell, but I don't have the chance to have something I can sell. What can we do? We don't enjoy the food around, right? And then there is a lot of things that I don't like in a lot of restaurants. How can I change these things? I want to be responsible for that. I want to change the behavior, how people eat, right? Because you don't want to go out there and just complain for everything without taking action. So you have to go and make changes. I felt... I had that responsibility that my mom, main motivation was I, I knew I'm not going to be a Burundian anymore. And I knew I'm not going to, people even in Burundi, they, we see, they don't want to see me again as someone from there. Same to my kids, right? I knew my kids since day one, they're American. And then I have to give them a luggage of knowledge, a luggage of confidence, and then have to build it right now. And then the only way you can build it is to share what you have. The only thing I had was my culture. The only thing I have is my education. And that's, I was like, let me transform this education in this culture so then I can have something strong I can hand it to my kids. You, you failed the test. You're supposed to be in love with Chicken McNuggets. I don't understand how you didn't like the food here. Uh, Steve, you've seen this a lot over the years. I know that you grew out of the local chamber of commerce there in 2010. Um, what did you see at that time? And what have you seen since then with the immigrants and refugees coming into Detroit? 
Well, what we've seen for a community like Detroit and Southeast Michigan um, is really strong contributions to our economy. Um, you know, Mamba's story is like so many other immigrant entrepreneurs. We sometimes call it entrepreneurship out of necessity, um, that they're not able to get hired for jobs that they're trained for or skilled for. Um, they don't have the networks um, that many of us have growing up uh, in this uh, in in this country or in this region. Um, and so then they find a way on their own to really leverage their 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 labor, their contribution, their you know their intellectual contributions. Um, and they're innovative. Um, you know the the same kinds of um, you know drive that would have them escape um, or even speak up about human rights abuses in their home country uh, are the are some of the assets they use to build their businesses. So when we launched Global Detroit, it was the Detroit Regional Chamber. Um, looking around and saying, you know, what are the economic contributions of immigrants and how do we um, step in at a time in 2010 where our state economy and our regional economy and our city's economy were in free fall? Um, we had the worst decade of probably any state uh, in American history between 2000 and 2010. We went from the 17th wealthiest state in per capita income to the 41st. Uh, this was just a year before Detroit declared itself bankrupt, the largest municipal bankruptcy uh, in U.S. history, where we lost a quarter of the population in the city of Detroit between 2000 and the 2010 census. And so what we saw was that, you know, immigrants of all walks, whether they're asylum seekers who don't speak the language um, to high tech entrepreneurs and uh, graduates in, with electrical engineering master's degrees that we need to be the automotive design capital of the world going forward. And we designed a series of programs and opportunities uh, to support those folks. We saw that in Detroit neighborhoods, which were grossly under-retailed. Um, across America, 28% of all the Main Street uh, business owners are immigrant-born. Uh, and that is true in restaurants where they're uh, close to 38% of the restaurant owners. Uh, but also when you look at grocery stores, they're over 50% of the grocery store owners. And these are critical economic development uh, and community development issues uh, for a city like Detroit. We um, designed programs. Uh, there's one that Global Detroit was intimately involved with called Prosperous Detroit, uh, which has trained over a thousand Detroiters in the basic business planning sessions. Um, those are African American Detroiters. Those are uh, Latinx uh, Detroiters who have been here for three or four generations. But it's also newer uh, Yemeni, Bangladeshi, uh, African immigrants um, uh, who come to the city. They've also lent out over three and a half million dollars uh, in microloans to small businesses and created uh, uh, over 2,500 jobs in the city. Um, so it, it seems like a small strategy to help, you know, uh, an asylee uh, apply for their first grant um, uh, and maybe to give them a small loan to open their business. But when that gets magnified across the city, it becomes a real significant uh, industrial or economic development strategy. You talk about the city being in free fall, and those are some really awful statistics that you put out there. Um, but I think of the idea of neighborhood revitalization. And if Detroit was in such a terrible spot, and you have these new this new blood coming in, as desperate as they may have been, um, that played a huge role in revitalizing the city. Absolutely. You know, last year we came out with a really um, seminal 
study with uh, a re- an urban researcher named Alan Malik and one of our data partners at Data Driven Detroit called Building Inclusive Cities. You can find it at buildinginclusivecities.org. We believe it's the first study of its kind that looked at a urban neighborhood that had seen relatively rapid immigration growth and not what are the impact for and how did the immigrants you know, gain an income and, and get integrated and uh, acculturated over time. It really looked at the long-term residents. So what did it mean for the long-term African-American residents in a neighborhood we call Bangladesh, East Davidson Village, as well as one called Chazzy Condon? And what we found is that by almost every metric uh, that you would measure neighborhood health by, whether it's vacancy, tax foreclosure, mortgage foreclosure, blight, um, uh, retail opportunities, crime, fires, uh, all the bad statistics went down much faster than in the rest of the city of Detroit, and all the good statistics went up much faster. Moreover, um, we found that all residents, including long-term African-American residents, felt that things in their neighborhood were better than on average in other neighborhoods, felt their neighborhood was going in the right direction, and largely actually felt good about newcomers. So, Mamba, what Tell us about your role in the city in terms of bringing in culture, using your background, uh, growing a business, and the odd way in which that started vis-a-vis the pandemic. Yeah, you know, the, the role is huge because they, as I said, they, I look forward in the only city, the only home I have now is Detroit, right, for me and uh, for, for my, my, my family, for my kids. And then that is something that I wanted to point out. Every single immigrant, when we are coming in this country, so we look forward, we don't look back. So we have to, it's our responsibility to, to build where we are. First of all, because there is that cliche that, oh, you are coming here to steal the job. And then that is very, sometimes heavy on our shoulders. We want to prove wrong. No, 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 no. We are here to build the economy. Only not that one, inspiring other immigrants, right? Sometimes, this country is so big and may be scary to start a new business or to dream about something. And then we, we, we show them that, hey, it's possible. The American dream is there, but you have to work hard. You have to work hard. Came in this country 2015, look where am I now? It's because I didn't do nothing magic. I work hard. I listen. I follow the rule. I try to, be, to not be in trouble. So there is... A formula is very easy. And once they see that formula, you use it and you're succeeding. Everybody say, oh, okay, so I can make my own contribution. So I can do something. I can, I can be like Mamba. I think that is the responsibility that we have. And then above all, that's the role that we are trying to play. Also hiring other immigrants and refugees who are coming in this country, sometimes they don't speak the language. So it's great to have a space like Barbara Fair where they can start or dream or see how things be. And then we're the one who will understand them more. And then sometimes you see people coming at work without the jackets in the winter. It's like, man, you're going to die. You can't do that. But if it's coming for me, they feel like, oh, you understand. You've been there. But if it's coming for somebody else, they may feel offended. But we play that role to, you know, to help what the mistakes that we made in the past. So then somebody doesn't make the same mistakes. That's a huge responsibility you have going on there. And I want, want to point out again, in less than seven years, you acquired the language, you acquired the skills. We already had a, a huge skill set coming in. And then you won grants. You won $50,000, another $50,000 in order to start your business. And 
but you you started your business around the same time as the pandemic started and therefore you know you had big dreams but then that came crashing down how did you find a way to maintain the momentum in order to see your business finally open and how did you uh do any sort of outreach when everything was locked down uh, for i feel like for something as a me as a refugee coming in this country the first thing is to appreciate the life that you're living in in any ways you have better life here than what you can have back home when you're a refugee because you're fleeing the country and then you have another chance in your life so you take that one with a lot of appreciation right and then when you see something like a pandemic and then you when a country where you can have can get the vaccine you're in a country where the police is not you know trying to kill you and try to protect you you're getting in a country where you have all these amazing things that you have a lot you look you have around that's only things you are winning in any battle you can you can you know you can go through so for us the pandemic was not easy but we've been always making sure like people they know what we are doing we cry we make friends we support people and then that's what we did by make meals for you know uh healthcare workers make meals for people who were needed at that time when we once the restaurant was open we start seeing that love people wanted to give back and then it's 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 not about the family it's not about us it's about what you do for ours for others and then i think that i want people to understand this is very important when you are in this business you have to be generous don't just look for money look for the contribution that you are making you are changing things and then talk to people reunite people you know ask for help if possible and then that is the only way we will succeed so opening in the middle of the pandemic for us was scary very scary but the help the support was amazing steve uh, this is one of many many stories you've encountered over the years um can you just reflect on that a little bit and what would be your message to other municipalities across the across the, na- the nation um well i think one of the things i have found working with the immigrant community is you know uh a, a half step forward in welcoming them and supporting them and helping them connect with their dreams and their ambitions is rewarded multiple fold um and so you know we set up a session at freedom house to talk to people about starting businesses and you know and now we have a james beard nominated you know nationally known amazing restaurant that is not only you know contributing to our economy um but contributes to our culture um contributes to the food scene uh i remember one of my trips uh in detroit uh, a few months ago and i think i ended up at mamba's restaurant three nights in a row um in part because everybody wants to go there and i would encourage anybody listening to this podcast next time here in detroit bob monfer is something you should check out um but my advice to other municipalities is that um there are now uh, in 2022 a, a number of partners uh whether it's global detroit or welcoming america or the american immigration council uh, and others who are dedicated to assisting communities to think through the economic uh, opportunities of being inclusive to the immigrant and refugee populations that are growing uh, in your midst that integration is you know there's federal immigration policies but integration is a local experience and um 
rather than burying your heads in the sand, this is not the third rail of American politics. These are uh, your neighbor, immigrants and refugees are your neighbors. They're the future of your community. And um, there are uh, plenty of things that you can do to leverage their contributions uh, in ways that benefit everybody in the community. Um, and so uh, what you're seeing is that numerous communities are rebuilding themselves, are tooling for the future and creating prosperity, securing their own uh, prosperity into the future through immigrant and refugee inclusion. And uh, there's a lot of folks out there now to assist uh, communities to think through these, these challenges and how, to, and how to take advantage of them. And it's for everyone's benefit, all Americans, new and old, everyone in that community benefits when people are given the opportunity to thrive. Um, Mamba, you were forced to adapt and start over again at a really difficult time in American history when it comes to immigration. If you had one message to the American public about who refugees and asylees are, um, what do you think that would be? Uh, just, we just need love. And then I promise we're gonna give you back the same love. And again, when we are coming in this country as refugees, especially, we don't, the only house, the only home, the only future is here. You know, be patient with, with us. There is a, you know, a lot of things we have to learn, but just be patient with us. One long, one thing only, I'm sure 100%, we, we love this country. And then that's the only country we have. And then we are more than happy and honor and appreciative every single day that we spend in this country. That's an incredible message, incredible message, Mamba. Uh, Mamba Hamisi, co-founder and CEO of Baobab Fair in Detroit, and Steve DeBachman, Executive Director of Global Detroit. Thank you for joining us on JobMakers. Thanks for having us. Thank you. JobMakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for this week's incredible story of one refugee entrepreneur. If you know a similarly outstanding immigrant or refugee business owner or innovator, email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. I'm Denzil Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers podcast.